I want to talk to you about what I believe is a current reality for all of us, that God is hiding in plain sight. I am persuaded that he is everywhere. Three of us are nodding. That's a good sign. I'm persuaded that he's in everything. That takes a little bit more of a theological somersault to appreciate. And really, the goal of my life, and has been for 33 years now, is to discover and to keep discovering and to consistently discover who he is, what he's like, what he's doing, what part I can play in the advancement of his kingdom. And I believe that as a result of that very simple intentionality in my heart, I've managed to see so many, many wonderful things about the Lord and what the Lord has done for other people. And one of the things I, I kind of want to say to you, is sometimes as Christians, we keep our eyes shut when the battle comes. You'll never see the Lord take down your enemies if you keep your eyes shut when the battle comes. You need to see that. That's really encouraging when the Lord takes down your enemies when the battle comes. Amen. So not only is God hiding in plain sight, but we need to open our eyes. We need to have the capacity to see and to understand who he is and what it is he's doing on a daily basis in our lives. I believe that's what Jesus was praying for when he said, give us this day our daily bread. God, who are you? What are you doing? What's happening here? What's happening around me? And uh, because I'm a naturally curious person, I suppose I've been given that kind of intentionality. So let's read a psalm together and we're going to highlight some thoughts about what it looks like for us to discover who God is. Consistently and persistently, he wants to reveal himself to us. Psalm 121. The psalmist David says, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will never slumber. Behold, who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will smite you by day, not the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going and coming in from this time and forever. All God's people said amen. amen. So what this psalm does for us, and this is probably the first place to camp whenever we're considering how we can grow in our capacity to see and to understand who God is and what God is up to is this. It reminds us from the beginning of it right to the end that God is a consistent reality in our lives. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's a very honest question. Do you live with that kind of conscious state? That in everything, everywhere you go, around about the day that you live on ordinary moments and sometimes extraordinary exploits, that God is a consistent reality. He is with you. He is about you. He is for you. He is in you. And we need to grow in our capacity to be able to sense his presence. You know, I think one of the things that's happened as a result of the sin and the shame in our lives is we've become desensitized to the beauty and the glory and the presence of God. And of course, when we're born again, when we come into that new relationship with Christ, we start to have our eyes open. How many of us can testify that the minute you got saved, you started to see the world differently? It's almost like a part of you that had been switched off and dulled by life and disappointment and sin. The part of you that was jaded by circumstances suddenly came alive. You had eyes to see. You suddenly became conscious of the God that perhaps many, for many of us for years we just ignored. Now suddenly we could not ignore him anymore. 
We beheld his glory. We beheld his truth. We beheld his reality. And suddenly all of our senses that had been pressed down by life and I believe maybe distorted by sin suddenly came back to the fore. And that was the invitation of the Spirit, not to camp at that point, but to consistently keep on pressing towards a new reality that God is everywhere. God is with me. God is for me. God is about me. And every room I stand in, He's in. And every circumstance I face, He's part of the story. In fact, what I need to do is consistently have the scales come off my eyes. The scales of, 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 you know, I think cynicism has to drop if I want to discover God. It's very difficult to perceive that which is invisible if you don't look for and be intentional about discovering the reality of God. But God is in every human being that you meet. Now, I know that's tricky for us to get our head around because we meet some interesting human beings. But the Bible says that creation, man and woman, have been created in the image of God. Every individual is an image bearer, even if that bearing of image has been distorted by all kinds of experiences in life. When we communicate with one another, that's where we should be communicating from. Where is Jesus in this person's life? Where is God in their story? We want to have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of God is opening us up to do. And whenever we start to have that kind of intentionality around discovering God, we start to understand His vastness. Now the psalmist paints pictures for us here that begin to unravel for us the greatness of our God. He says He's in the highest places. God reigns in the heavens above all things. He is sovereign and gloriously above and beyond any dominion, authority, power or kingdom that exists on this earth. And straight away we see in this psalm that we're invited to lift up our eyes. In other words, to re-engage with a heaven reality in the midst of our earthly circumstance. And it's important for us to understand that if we really want to know God, we need to have that intentionality to understand and experience and explore who He is. See, David had a brilliant devotional life because he connected with God no matter where he was, no matter what he was going through. And it's great that we worship God in church. And what a great night of worship it's been. But you know, God is as real the other side of this doorstep as he is inside of it. He is as available the other side of this doorstep as he is inside of it. You don't believe me by the look on your faces, I could see that. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. So if he's here, he can be there. And I can enjoy his presence here, but I can enjoy his presence out there. In fact, I can enjoy his presence anywhere I want to enjoy his presence. You know, he's not like a shop. He shuts up at 11.30. He's available all the time. Psalm 139, verse 7 through to 12 says this about that reality. Where can I go from your spirit? And the psalmist concludes after a huge amount of dialogue that actually there's nowhere. Or where can I flee from your presence? When I'm standing in the midst of a conversation with somebody who's clearly against Jesus, if I ever needed to feel his presence more tangibly, it's in moments like that. Not just in moments like this. When I hear the diagnosis that my daughter has Turner's syndrome and I'm standing with my new wife with this tiny baby in a doctor's surgery 
And I've been singing songs for years and worshiping God in church for years. And we prayed and prayed and believed that God would bless us with a child. And this beautiful girl comes along in our life. And 18 months into her life, we discover that she has Turner syndrome. It's there I need the presence of God. I need to feel, to experience, and to identify that He's with me in the difficult times, not just in the times when I'm rejoicing in church. And we've become very accustomed to enjoying His presence here, but He wants to invite us out through the door into the realities of our life and to enjoy His presence there. God is everywhere. He is everywhere. You can't flee from His presence, but you can be desensitized to his presence. And so we need to be reinvigorated and re-energized to experience God's presence everywhere. Some of the greatest times I've had with the Lord have not been in meetings like this. In fact, they've been outside of the parameters of what we call a church gathering. I remember one time years ago, I used to work on the cruise ships. I know it's hard to believe. Yes, I did. I was a singer. I was good looking once and don't disagree with me. Let the man be delusional. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I was chatting with this young New York dancer who was there on the ship and, and she was very sassy and very against God. And suddenly, you know, I just found myself in a place where I was, I was sensing his presence and I thought, God, you're here. Now, I, I wish I'd, <laughs> I pray I would have been more sensitive all the way through that conversation, but somehow he just turned up a little bit more and it was a bit more obvious to me. And I happened to say to this young, sassy, red-haired dancer who was absolutely drop-dead gorgeous and every man on the ship would have liked to have dated her, I happened to say to her, you knew were seven, this happened to you and your father did this and this what happened and your mother left him and, and she was shocked. And she gave her heart to Jesus. She gave her life to Jesus. Why? Because God is as real on a cruise ship as he is in a church. And I need to consistently readjust my eyes and realign my heart and recalibrate my spirit to discover him in everyone and in everything. Because if I'm not careful, I will miss some of the hidden treasure that he has dotted about my life to bless me and to bless others. I want to be the kind of person that's intentional about asking this question in every conversation I have. Where are you, God? What do you want to say to this person? How do you want to bless this individual? I tell you what, that does make you more interesting to have at a dinner party. Well, maybe not some of you, but it does make dinner parties more interesting nonetheless. So where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the highest heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take on the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I dwell in the depths of the sea, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide me. Our first invitation to becoming aware of who God is and what God is up to is to have that intentionality of treasure hunting for his reality in the midst of the circumstances of our life. In fact, inside every problem, there's a promise to be discovered. In every circumstance we go through, there's an upgrade of our revelation of his nature and his character that is afforded to us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's my upgrade, I fear no evil. 
That's my upgrade. As I do that journey, which is sometimes difficult to go through, the reality is here, God, you're with me and you're for me and you open up something of a blessing to me, even in the midst of the worst moments of my life. All things, including my worst day, work together for the good of those who love the Lord. I don't have a bad day if I have a God perspective. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? I can't have a bad day if I have a God perspective because He's with me and He's for me and He's amongst me and He's about me and His purposes are being revealed to me if I have eyes to see who He is and if I have a heart that desires to understand what He's doing. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for me, would you please? Paul hits on this subject matter in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 6. He speaks out of the one God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and all of the wonderful, beautiful things he says. And then he says, he's a God who is over all. Now pause for a moment and consider that. And I'm going to be a bit rude if I can tonight, and I hope it's Holy Spirit rudeness. But let me ask this question, who is over our country right now? Who is over our country you really don't think that it's just been left to a handful of people to make all these decisions, do you? That there isn't a plan, a divine plan for the purposes of God. Someone say amen. amen. So will I discover that plan when I'm looking to those people who are arguing and fighting with each other about the future? Or will I discover that plan when I lift my eyes above the precipice of broken humanity, trying to work out the figure out the purposes of God without having clarity? Where will I discover that plan? He is over all. He's been over our life. Right through your childhood, through your teenage years, through your young adulthood, right through to some of us who are, well, there might be snow on the roof, but there's fire in the grate. Over it all. Over everyone I've met, over every circumstance I've had, over every good, bad, and ugly thing that's ever happened or could have happened to me, my God rules and reigns. He resides and presides over all things. I am not without hope. Even in the midst of terrible moments, I am not without hope because He is with me. He is for me. His plan is to prosper and to bless me, to open me up to a new reality, to discover Him for who He truly is. And actually, if I have that kind of intentionality, I will find myself embracing adversity with a little bit more energy. Because if no weapon can fashion, be fashioned against me can prosper, then each battle I find myself in, I have a growing opportunity to be confident in the reality that God presides over all. So Paul says there's a God over all. He's a God through all. Verse 6 of Ephesians 4 says, God over all, a God through all. There's a song that... Uh, when I first became a Christian, it was kind of fading a little bit. It was by a man called Andre Crouch. I don't know if you remember Andre Crouch. <clears throat> and it went like this. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Oh, don't ruin it. Through it all. Have learned to depend upon his word. I think sometimes we want to escape reality. And actually, here's the invitation. In the midst of your circumstances, you can have a clarity and a certainty about the God who is with you. 
We're not escapologists. We're not trying to get through things quickly. And anyway, if you're going through hell, gather everything you can so that you can get to heaven quicker. <laughs> it says of Jesus that he took captivity captive. If you have to go through some things, pick up everything you need on the way. There will be upgrades and revelations and understandings about the nature and character of God that you couldn't find any other way. Otherwise, the Father who is good wouldn't have allowed this to happen. When you're going through something, God is with you. He wants to reveal something to you. And even if the enemy is against you, grab everything that's the treasury of heaven and bring it with you into the next season of your life. You don't go through anything in vain because the God who is powerful is with you and for you. It says also here that he's a God over all, he's through all, and he's in all. Now, sometimes I struggle with that reality. Is God really in all? <laughs> and then I hear these stories of places that I think are beyond the reach of God. How stupid of me. And you hear a story and you start to hear that God is involved in everything, everywhere, with all kinds of wonderful people. One night... Um, in our church in Bristol a few years ago, we were in a prayer meeting, which we've been enjoying here again, a refreshed sense of the Spirit. And <clears throat> I felt God asked us to pray for people who were, um, you know, of other faiths. And so we began to pray for our brothers and sisters who had, had different persuasions regarding God. And we started to kind of pray a lot around the whole area of, of um, people who, from other countries that had different belief systems. And so we began to pray, we began to pray. We really felt there was a bit of a breakthrough as we were praying for people to experience God. And that Sunday, that was Tuesday, on that Sunday, I get a tap on, on, on the, the door and, and someone comes in and they're early for the service and it was a Muslim lady and she said, can I speak to the priest? Now, we didn't have a priest, but I was the only one that was available so I said, well, I kind of sort of play that role here. I'm the pastor here. Come on in. She began to talk to me, and she told me this wonderful story. Um, she said that the night before, she'd been in her bedroom, and her husband was out working somewhere, and she was falling asleep, and she saw this vision. And she said it was a man who was dressed in light. I, I love that phrase. He was just dressed in light. That really captivated my heart. And she said, after he spoke to me about a few issues in my life, he told me that his name was Jesus. And he told me that he had come specifically to reveal himself to me and my family. And of course, she said, I was crying. I'd never felt such purity. I'd never felt such beauty in my life. And just, I just spent hours. It felt like minutes, but I spent hours just enjoying the presence of this man dressed in light. And it was the early hours of the morning, probably about four or five o'clock, and she heard a noise downstairs. And so she goes downstairs, and as was normal in her house, she had a, a young a son who was about 14 or 15 who, who had cerebral palsy. He would often be up in the night, and she saw her son struggling to, to kind of move and, and find comfort in the middle of the night with his condition. And so she went towards this, this young man, 15 I think he was, and she just went to touch his shoulder to ask if he was okay. And as she touched his shoulder, his body began to reshape itself. And he, she could hear, she explained to me crying, I could hear all the bones clicking and everything happening in his body. And for the first time in the whole of, of her of her, her motherhood life, she saw her son stand up right in her front room. And in fact, 
In fact, she brought him with him and he was a very reluctant participant in this conversation. Um, and, and he was kind of pushed into the middle of the room and this is my son and she introduced him and we just praise God and thank God. There, there are places that I think God doesn't go, but God already is. Sometimes God's doing more outside the church than it appears that he is doing inside the church. Do you know, God is doing something in communities and in places and in families and in situations that you and I would never imagine that God would ever want to be, but he's there amongst his people bringing life. And for me, all that happens when I go out on, the, on, on, on a, a shopping trip is I'm just discovering those people. I'm just discovering. I'm a treasure hunter. God, is this one you'd like me to speak to? Is this one you'd like me to connect with? Because he's everywhere. God is everywhere. He even goes to Sainsbury's. God is everywhere. He, he's everywhere. He cares about people. He loves to show up in places and times and moments and bring life to communities. He's absolutely breathtaking and exceptional in those manners. But if I'm not intentional, if I'm not God conscious, I think I'm just going shopping. I think it's about getting the milk and the eggs and getting home as quickly as possible. I find myself sometimes whenever we're at the checkout and I hate shopping for food. I know it looks like I love it, but I hate it. Okay. I hate shopping for food. And Jane always invites me. I rarely have time to do this with her. But she invites me when I'm really hungry. Have you ever gone shopping when you're really hungry? You buy things you would never want to eat. And they sit in the fridge for, for, for days and get thrown out. But actually, over and over again, because I'm trying to help myself, and I'm trying to encourage you to be more God-conscious in every and ordinary day situations in my life, I go looking for people. And sometimes it's a bit strange because Jane would prefer at times that I didn't go looking for people because what should take half an hour can take three hours. It's, it's the wonderful truth of God being inconvenient at times to our plans because his plans are absolutely superior. And I can't tell you the amount of times whenever I've been at the checkout and I've just seen somebody's name on their badge and, and you know I always find it funny because they think that you're, you're operating in revelation when you call them by name. It's actually quite encouraging if you want to be prophetic. You say, hello Mary, Mary, how do you know my name? The Lord spoke to me <laughs> through the badge on your lapel. You know, <laughs> Over and over again, the, the minute we kind of get into conversation and I just tell you how I do this. It's not, you know, hello, Mary, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's not that. It's, are you having a good day, Mary? And you know, often or not, they're not. Because they've had some people turn up who've been less than helpful <laughs> during the course of the day. And so, Mary, you know, it must be really difficult sometimes to have this amount of people come through your till. I, I just, I'm in awe of how you do that, Mary. How do you cope with all the, 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 the kind of many voices and many demands? And so Mary, you know, hasn't been asked a question like that ever at the till. So, so she's singing like a canary. And I'm listening intently. God, where is it? Where is it? Where, where is the place that we can connect? Because you're here with Mary on the checkout in Aldi. I know some of you posh people, but Aldi. You're here, God. What do you want to say? How do you want to connect her? And, and prophecy is an invitation for people to experience God. And you know, because that kind of 
of discipline is something that I seek all the time. When I'm shaking hands or saying hello at the door, I'm, I'm listening and I'm asking, and you'll wonder why I'm looking at you odd. <laughs> God, who is this person? Not the name they introduced themselves out, but who were they when they were a child? What are their dreams, Father? What are their hopes? What are their aspirations? What are their disappointments, Lord? God, what things is it that you have for them in the future and they can't see because they're so full of busyness at this time. I love to treasure hunt. I want to see him in everyone. I want to hear his voice in every conversation. I want to be orientated consistently and reminded persistently that he is here. He is present in my reality. He is God, Emmanuel, here in the midst of my catastrophe. He's the God who comes and he rewrites my story. He's the God who opens up opportunity for people to connect with his reality all day, every day, everyone, everywhere, we have the opportunity to seek him. And the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, not occasionally when we're in a meeting seek him, but diligently seek him. Where are you, God? The psalmist says that as a result of the conscious awareness of God, he has recognized the discipline in his life. And he says, I will lift my eyes up to the mountains from where my help comes from. When I'm God-orientated, I'm invited to heavenly perspective. And heavenly perspective, in, it engages me in the story of God that's happening in somebody else's life. A couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at a, at a, a church. <laughs> that does happen. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? I was invited... <laughs> to speak at a church, and this church was doing a weekend away. It was the smallest church of about 100 people. It had grown quite extensively. And uh, there were two men who were leading this church. One was a younger man in his 30s. The other was a slightly more mature man in his 50s, and, um, <clears throat> but very handsome. <clears throat> it wasn't me. <laughs> you knew that, though, didn't you? And... I'd been with them all weekend and they invited me to come and speak on the prophetic and to say some things over their, their church community. And, and, and one of the things we did on the Saturday was we had to go around with the co-leadership team and they invited me to prophesy over each of these 25 people. And of course, you know, no pressure. But as we started the journey, I got to about number four and it was the younger of the two men. And as I looked at him, I saw him with a dagger in his hand. My, my prophetic insightfulness there was simply that God was showing me something about him. And so I was a little troubled by this. And, and I don't know if you've ever prayed for somebody and you've seen something in that manner and God has shown you something in that way. But I mean, what do you say? I really didn't know what to say. So I, I prayed some, you know, vague blessing prayer over his life and moved on to the next person. And then the following day, prior to the, the final time together, we were meeting again as a group and he came to me and he said, how come you didn't prophesy over me the way you did over other people? And I didn't really know what to say to him, but I felt the Spirit of God just quicken my spirit. And this is what he said, I want you to prophesy prognosis, not diagnosis. And, and so as I looked at him, I prophesied this over him. God is going to make you like Jonathan to the man who he called, the pastor's name was David, in this church. 
The enemy would love for you to stab him in the back. But God has given you a blade, the sword of the Spirit, to tear down the strongholds that come against the purposes of God for this man. You will love him like you love a father. You will give your life to him and serve him. Prognosis, not diagnosis. Because in my picture I saw the day before, he was stabbing the pastor in the back. Do you know he came at the end of it all? And when I was saying goodbye to people at the door and everything, he said, you know, I need to tell you something. And I said, you don't. <laughs> he said, no, no, I do. I do. I need to tell you something. I said, no, you don't. You don't. In fact, please don't tell me anything. He said, I can't get over what you prophesied over me. In my heart of hearts, I've always wanted to love Pastor David this way. But I felt that, that I was underutilized and undervalued. And so I became critical about him. And the truth is, you don't know this, Simon. You don't know this, Simon. But anywhere I've ever gone, I've been critical and cynical about this man. And I feel today that without exposing my sin, God has given me an opportunity to re-love him again. And I'm really grateful that you, you prophesied those realities over me because my earthly experience was different than my heavenly invitation. You know, when we start to see people the way God sees people, we start to move. Our perspective begins to shift. It begins to change. In fact, there's no hopeless case. There's nobody without the possibility of redemption. And we need to look up. We need to look up beyond diagnosis. A couple more stories and then we'll wrap this up. One time in the church in Bristol, we were leading worship and God told me there was a young lady that was in the meeting and he wanted to change her name. And of course, you know, I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> We're singing, you know, our oh God is the lion. How do you fit that into that? I mean, I didn't really know how to dovetail them together. But there became a moment in the worship where things became a little bit more quieter. And I just said, you know, I feel the Spirit of God is saying to a young lady here that God, God is about to change your name. And uh, if that means anything to you, while we're continuing with our worship, just come forward. And this young, beautiful girl came forward and she stood at the front. And so I came down from the platform. I was chatting with her and she was crying her eyes out. And she said, I don't know how you would know that. <laughs> how do you know that? I said, how do I know what? Because I wasn't quite sure what that meant. And she said, well, let me tell you my story and then you'll understand how important it is. She, I was raised, my name is Natalie. She introduced herself. She was crying and crying and crying. And she said, at the age of 14, 15, and 16, I got involved in the drug scene. And I've been working as a prostitute for the last 10 years. And every night, I'm out peddling my wares on the streets just across from your, your church here. And, and last night, I was waiting for a guy to, to come who promised to turn up, and he didn't turn up. And I said to God, is this my life? Is this my life? And she said, God, if you're real, I want you to do something. I want you to help me get out of this life. And she felt this whisper in her heart because her working name wasn't Natalie. Her working name was Sarah. And God said to her out on the street, and she wasn't a believer. I know this messes with our heads, but it's true. It's how it works. He said, I'm changing your name back from Sarah to Natalie. You will never be Sarah again. And so she said, because I knew it was God and I knew that you were a church, I came here to the service 
And I'm sitting here crying because the presence of God is so powerful. And I'm saying, God, did I just get that wrong last night? And you say in the middle of the song, there's someone here and God has promised he's going to change your name. Well, you know, Natalie got saved. And it was difficult for the church, some people knew what she did, to look past what was an external, visible, tangible evidence of a life that had ravished her soul. And she even started reverting to herself a few months into the journey with Jesus as Sarah or Sarah because she felt she identified with that because her physicality had changed as a result of some of the things that she had been involved in. And every time I would meet her, she would say, hi, Simon, it's Sarah or Sarah. I said, no, no, that's Natalie, isn't it? That's Natalie, isn't it? And, and I kept introducing her to people as Natalie until such time as the prognosis started to overwhelm the diagnosis and God began to speak to her about things that he had planned for her from the foundations of the earth. You see, what I'm trying to talk about tonight is a God consciousness that causes us to view the world from a higher perspective. I lift my eyes to the mountains, up to the high places of God, because God's perspective on this individual or this circumstance has to be the only one that I adopt. I can't work with human logic or reason. I can't just operate out of a soulish orientation. I need my soul acclimatized to the reality of the presence of God. And in every conversation I'm in, I want to speak into people's life, bringing them out of a place of hopelessness and into hopefulness, out of a place of brokenness into the beauty of God. I want to be a treasure hunter in every human conversation that I have. I want to look for him, the golden thread of his story in the life of someone who's been damaged and broken and marginalized and rejected, and in this case, Natalie, abused by many, many men. I want to speak hope into that. There's no point in me coming to her and telling her what she has become. I'm calling her into what she is becoming. I'm speaking life over her original design. I'm calling her back to the place of connectivity with the reality of who God is. So the psalmist says right the way through the psalm that I'm building this orientation that my God is everywhere. Who would have known that in places and times and spaces and circumstances I could have discovered him and maybe tonight we're thinking this through and we realize that we weren't looking and we weren't paying attention, but God is with you. He's for you. He's not just, he doesn't just visit us in a gathering like this. He comes with us into every circumstance of our life. And no matter how difficult your life is, he's right there in the middle of it. He never leaves and he never forsakes. And I need to go looking for him. So often I have to orientate and calibrate my heart to experience his love in the midst of my life. And I need his perspective. I need to lift my eyes above what I see to whom I know. Because I know that he has a perspective on things. You know, I've never, ever heard God say anything to me for anyone that wasn't full of hope. He has this incredible sound in his voice of joy. I know some of you could do with hearing it. Amen. You know, when God comes near you or wants to communicate, some of us think he's going to tell us off. 
God loves you. He rejoices over you with singing. It's very hard to tell you off when you're singing. You are the Father's great delight. Come on, church, wake up. You are the Father's great delight. His love is for you. He's jealous for you. He's insatiable about you. Can't keep his hands off you. As he moves towards you, he's not coming with condemnation. There's no tone of condemnation. There's a joy in his, in his heart that he is communicating with you. He wants to speak life over your brokenness. He wants to bring healing to your heart. He wants to open your eyes to see the reality that he's, he's the God who delights in you. But if I'm looking at people or even looking at myself from an earthly perspective, I can't see heaven's perspective. I can't have eyes to see what God can see. So we get this privileged and most glorious invitation from the scriptures to live with a constant awareness of his presence. Not just some vague ethereal atmosphere, but the reality that God is with us, he's for us, he's around us, and he's in the midst of everything and everyone and every circumstance of our life. Who would like to grow in that capacity? Set your heart towards it. Trust me, you will have the greatest adventure you can ever have here on earth the second thing is we need his eyes to see the world the way he sees it. We need his eyes to see the way we need to see ourselves. We need his perspective on everything. God has an opinion and a perspective on everything. And we need to know him and we need to know his perspective. The psalmist also says, he is the one who provides for us. My help comes from the Lord, who is the maker of heaven and earth. Do you know God's provision for me isn't always what I want it to be. Sometimes I'm asking for one thing and he gives another thing. Have you noticed that about him? But you know, if I'm asking for bread, he wouldn't give me a scorpion or a stone. I've always found that whether it came the way I expected it to or it came from another source, it was actually much better than I had asked for. Because he's a good, good father and he delights to give good gifts to his children. And how about this? Sometimes he's provided for me by not answering my prayer. Sometimes I want to do something and I think it's the right thing to do. And thank God he didn't answer the prayer. He said, no, 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 that's not for you. This is for you. And then you've met those people years later and you're so grateful to God that it wasn't true. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. It also says in the psalmist here, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps you, Israel, God can look after a person. He can look after a moment. He can look after a nation. He's the greatest caretaker that I've ever met. He takes care of things that I've forgotten. He takes care of things that I've forsaken. His promises are yes, and he's waiting for me to turn up in moments in my life and say amen. Lord, let it come to pass the way you promised it would.